live from the House of LeMay Makeup and Dressing Room. Here comes Amber. Stop what you're doing. Here comes Amber. She's just doing what she can. Here comes Amber. Cue the spotlight. Here comes Amber. You can't look away Ask her does she do it really nothing to it She's got that fun on the game If you have a party Or if you're feeling naughty Call up the house of the maid Hello, and welcome to the Amber Live interviews. This is Russell, producer and co-host of Amber Live. We want to remind you to subscribe to us both here and at youtube.com slash amberlive. You don't want to miss a moment of Amber LeMay, the Larry King of drag queens. There's so much more to the show than just the interviews that Amber does each week. We have hundreds of interviews, comedy sketches, songs, and more on YouTube that you can watch anytime. But... In the meantime, you can listen to the amazing interviews right here. Now enjoy this episode of Amber Live Interviews. Paul Verberg is a full-time artist and painter trained in drawing and painting at the Art Institute of Chicago and Art Center College of Design. His earlier, more traditional cowboy work was seen in several national museum shows as well as galleries from coast to coast. Experimentation with media and blending of genres began for him in the 1980s. The majority of his work now focuses on the abstract qualities found in the physical world and translating them into drawings and paintings. His current studio practice includes not only oil on canvas painting, but drawing and sculptural assemblage work. His current show, Isolation and Introspection, is at the Evanston, Illinois Arts Center. Let's take a look. Hello, my name is Jan Christopher Berkson. I am at the Evanston Arts Center in Evanston, Illinois, showing you the work of Paul Verber from his current exhibition entitled Isolation and Introspection. It's another grouping of beautiful drawings. All of these are pen and ink over monoprint on paper. Paul is an artist with very adroit skills in several mediums. In his current studio practice, he also focuses on oil, on canvas, pen and ink, mixed media drawing and sculptural assemblage work. And here is a, an example of his more sculptural work. This is called drawing implements. They are oil paint balls used for drawing. He uses these to make some of his mono prints as well. These are actually leftover oil paint that he accumulates into these shapes and then uses them as drawing instruments until they dry out enough to become more sculpture. I think one of the remarkable things about Paul's work, among many things, is that his work is a very slow read, meaning it urges the viewer to look at it from different perspectives. And in these drawings, a person can appreciate the imagery, not only from a distance, but also from a close-up view. 
You see here, there's a lot of gratifying detail to take in. I think his approach to his work happens largely to his very intuitive approach in his process. It's pretty much unscripted to remain in an unfocused state while allowing the pen or brush to inform the next mark made. I think this approach has served him very well in breaking down recognizable in imagery into abstracted forms, creating his own personal narrative while also using the formal qualities of scale, colors, textures, and shapes. Wow, Paul, come on in. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Paul. Oh my goodness, what a vast range of work you have there in that exhibition. All yeah. right, so how did you get started in, in your art world? What, what, what prompted you to be an artist? In the art world or, or making art? Uh, making, <laughs> making art, making art. Making art uh, started in the third grade. Uh, Silvana Giuseppe and I had an argument about who could draw a penguin better. And um, her parents were cartoonists in Hollywood and she could, she could draw me under a table any day. Um, but uh, I traced one off of a cover of a book and um, that was kind of, I, I lost obviously, but um, about um, say fast forward 15 to years or so I was showing in galleries and uh, I went back to my hometown and ran into her in a market and uh, she asked me what I was doing. I said, well, I was there for an opening and she was like, you did it. And, and so um, uh, I haven't seen her since that was the last time I've seen her. And that was in the, probably the late early eighties, mid to late mid, mid to early eighties. Yeah. Last time I saw her. Well, I was reading uh, your uh, part of your uh, bio and you were an air traffic controller too. I was, I was, um, I, uh, yeah, I, another weird story. Um, I was, I went to college, we lived, I grew up in the mountains in a very isolated area. My dad was a forest ranger. And uh, when I got out of high school, I went to college and um, I did my first year in college at, at Cal State Fullerton. And uh, my mom decided that if they could afford for me to live in town, they could afford for her to live in town too. So she moved into my apartment and I immediately went to the recruiter at the Air Force uh, uh, <laughs> recruiting office. And I said, I would like an interesting job with a lot of off time. And he said, well, how are your grades? I said, well, you know, I'm good. I'm 4.0. And he said, well, you sound like a good air traffic controller. He said, you'll work a swing shift, an afternoon shift, a morning shift, and then you'll have a day off. So I worked from six in the morning till noon. Then I worked from the next day noon until six and then the third day i worked from six until midnight and then i was off until the next day at off a day and then back at six o'clock at night the third the fourth day so i had a lot of off time what airport and I was, was that? i'm sorry uh luke air force base in arizona and i was already showing uh at galleries in scottsdale so um it worked out uh real well so now, the, what we saw in the video was, uh, do you consider yourself a multimedia artist or how would you classify yourself? Wow. Um, Well-rounded, I guess. <laughs> wow. um, I, I can do pretty much anything. Um, and I've been, I've worked with, I've in teaching, I've worked with all, several different types of students. Um, and my latest teaching position was at Art Awakenings in Arizona. 
and it was working with uh, mentally and physically challenged adults and teaching them everything from painting to drawing to mask making to printmaking to fabric arts, sculpture, um, anything they wanted to do. We, we played How rewarding. How rewarding that must have been to, to help them. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah. All right. We've got some pictures of some of your work. Russell, uh, throw some of them up there. Okay. All right. This, please explain. This is an assemblage. Um, uh, we went on a trip to San Diego and we like to go to flea markets and stuff. And this is all things I found on that trip. At the beach, there were shells. Um, there's a butterfly in there. There's just that wonderful little uh, uh, clay figure, uh, which became the impetus for the whole thing. It's called the collector. And that, that's just all the things that I found on that trip. It's kind of like um, uh, instead of a scrapbook, I made something to remember the trip by. This is uh, one of my bronzes. Um, and these pieces are based on uh, cowboy hat brims. If you can imagine uh, looking sideways, you would see the, the brim of the hat in there. And that opening is would be where your head would go into the hat. It's not the crown. It's just the brim of the hat. And that is two hat brims entwined. It's called unity. How do you work with bronze? Uh, those were lost wax. Uh, so you make a wax form and then you um, dip it in plaster until you get a shell and then uh, you add sprues onto it and then uh, you bake it upside down so all the wax drains out and then you pour molten uh, bronze into the form. When it cools, you break all the plaster off and you have your piece. So those, those are all one ofs. There's, there's only the one of each of the bronzes. Well, how long would it take you to make something like that? Um, you know, a week or so. Depends on how motivated you are and how much time you have. But you, you're just, you know, carving in wax. I mean, it's not a big deal. <laughs> it's beautiful. Next, Russell. Oh, these are, these are silly little things that I just put together. Uh, people give me these cloches. And, um, you know, I found that uh, uh, chick skeleton encased in <laughs> uh, plastic. It's like a, um, a, pl a plastic cube. And so I mounted that little umbrella on it and put it in a nest with another egg. Um, just to be silly. This piece uh, was one of my first shrines that I made. I was in a show in... Um, Santa Fe, uh, a, a shrine show, Dia de los Muertos at Owings Dewey Gallery. And my idea was when a cowboy prays, he takes his hat off at a rodeo. And so I built the shrine inside of the cowboy hat uh, crown. And this is uh, iron. Uh, again, if you can imagine seven cowboy hat brims kind of attached together to make a wheel. A lot of these were done in memoriam of friends that had passed away. Again, how do you work with iron? Uh, it's the same. It's the, exactly the same way. You just pour in a different metal. Okay. You right. make, you make the form, you bake the wax out and then pour iron in. So uh, this is a uh, plein air painting. I was at a show in Kingman and I um, stood on the sidewalk and painted the, the view down the street. That's what that is. This was done when I was at SAIC there in Chicago. 
and I um, every morning would get up at seven thirty, and I'd started school not till nine. So I would paint for a couple hours uh, before going to class, sitting on Michigan Avenue, looking to the south. So you'd be sitting on the street with your easel and your paint, and you'd be painting that. Yep, yep. People, well, actually, I wasn't on the street. I found this cool little um, uh, raised flower bed kind of areas, and I sat up in there in the plants. <laughs> <laughs> did people stop and talk to you? Yeah, quite a few did. Quite a few did. I did another one of Buckingham Fountain uh, there, and that one I sold right on the spot. The people came by and bought it. Now, that looks almost like a photograph. Uh, it's a train station there in Kingman where we lived at the time. Again, done plein air, sending out on the train track. This was on a camping trip on uh, Mount Charleston in Las Vegas area. Uh, well, got, the guys would go out and go hiking and stuff, and I stayed in the campsite and painted. This is an interesting painting. It was done from memory, and it's called Throne of Sublimation, uh, big fancy title. It's where I used to go as a kid and think about what I wanted to do with my life on the side of the mountain, on that rock. And if you can imagine, uh, I was looking, if you were to see over the edge of that hill and look uh, off to your right, you would be looking across Los Angeles. Wow. This is uh, plein air again, uh, the lodge, um, oh, what are those called? I don't remember the name of the tree. Uh, it's the largest grove of these trees in Lompoc, California. It had to do with, I think it was W.C. Fields had something to do with, uh, he did something in Italy and they sent all those trees to Lompoc to line the sides of the street. And it's supposedly the largest grove of those trees in California. I read where you went back to school at the age of 50. I did. Um, why? Don't you didn't you know everything by the time you were 50? You know, I I um I had taught myself. Well, I went to the one the one year at Cal State Fullerton and that gave me all of the, you know, how you mix paint, how you put stuff together, how you stretch canvas, that kind of stuff. And I my counselor at the time uh said, "You know, you're you've got galleries. You've you know what you're doing." go out and do it. You know, you don't need to be, well, actually, because I had uh, done the first year in Cal State Fortune, I took only art classes. I didn't take anything else. And the other reason I went in the Air Force is they said, now you've got to take general education because you've got enough art classes to graduate, but you don't have any general ed. And I was like, well, what's that? And they said, well, you have to take English and math and languages and all. And I was like, I don't want to do that. So I went in the Air Force. Very good. All right. Well, thank you so much. We're, we're going to take a little break right now, and then we're going to come back. I want to know why you, the fascination with cowboys that we saw earlier and some okay. of your earliest work. So we'll be right back. This is Russell, producer and co-host of Amber Live, reminding you that it is your support that keeps us going. You can make a donation through this podcast by using our Venmo at RJD Pro or by visiting us at amberlive.tv and clicking on the Support Amber Live button. And now, back to this incredible interview. All right, we're back with Paul. Now, Paul, you mentioned cowboys. All of your art involves cowboys. Tell us right. the history of that. Uh, well, when I was stationed at Luke, um, uh, as a kid, I did a lot of landscapes too, pencil drawings, and... Uh, because my dad was a forest ranger, a lot of his co-workers were American Indian, Native American. 
Um, and because of where we lived, uh, the kids, his, my dad's coworkers, cousins and children uh, were trying to work their way into Americanized schools and they didn't want to live in town. So they lived with us. So I got involved with Native American uh, mythologies and the way they thought and the way they lived. And it just made a lot of sense because that was the way I was living in the forest. You know, I, we didn't have any people around. Our closest neighbor was five miles away. So long story short, I was doing Native American influenced artwork. And that's what got me into the gallery in Scottsdale in the late seventies or so um, white people doing native American themed work was beginning to be severely frowned upon. So they said, you know, we really love your work. It's selling well, but you need to think of something else. So I started going to native American rodeos um, and that got me into going to PRCA rodeos and other rodeos all around the area. And I was in Arizona. So there were rodeos just about every weekend. And that's what got me into doing rodeo work. Um, the one thing about my work when I was doing cowboys is uh, most of the cowboy contemporary, and I did contemporary cowboys. I did not do historical paintings because my deal was, you know, I know what the atom bomb is and I know how the world's working now. Back then when Remington and all these guys were working, they didn't have any of that to go by. You know, you lived in the, in the wild. So I worked and and maintained that I was going to do contemporary cowboys. And it was always other people that did the contemporary cowboys were doing the action in, in the arena, the bull rider, you know, and the saddle bronc rider and the calf roper. And I stayed with the psychological aspect of it, of the people preparing for riding, preparing their, their gear, working with their saddles, working with the horses, the, the horseshoers and the saddle makers and things like that. I was doing Russell, let's see some of this cowboy work. Yeah, see people just sitting around. That's a watercolor. Now, something like uh, these, do, do, you, do you take a photograph and work from a photograph? I would I would go to the rodeo. Sometimes I would sketch at the rodeo, but stuff's happening so fast, and I had to move around. So I would take, uh, for instance, this photograph was probably a composite of about five or six photographs. There may have been other people in the frame where where his particular body position that he's in right now might have had four other people standing around him. So I took pictures of the corral that he's sitting on, the gate that he's sitting on, and I took pictures of the stands empty, and then I composed the picture with his body in it. This is a good friend of mine in, uh, <laughs> in um, Santa Fe. Um, and we were always at the time we looked very similar and um i i um didn't know that his sister was lesbian and i went in the bar the gay bar there in santa fe one night and she just about drained all the blood out of her face and she came running up to me and she's like you can't tell mom you can't tell mom i'm sorry i'm sorry and i was like who are you and what the hell are you talking about and she goes oh you're not my brother and I said, no i'm not so um, <laughs> oh, no, we looked a lot alike at the time so um i can't tell that story very often because uh anyway just because <laughs> this piece uh that is in flagstaff and this piece is interesting because it looks like a drawing a black and white pencil drawing, but it's not. It's worked on masonite, uh, and that is uh, uh, graphite dust. So it's the powder 
of like if you were to take a pencil and grate all the the graphite down into just like like uh, powder, and then you take a brush load of Damar varnish and you paint with the the powder to make that paint that piece. So so it's a mixture of the powder and varnish that graphite you apply. dust, graphite dust and varnish. Yes, so it looks like a painting, but not. Yeah. Yes, uh, this is a life-size oil painting. It's probably 40 by 60 or so. Uh, that's down in Casa Grande, I believe. This is uh, in Brush, Colorado. I still have this painting. I never sold it. I kept it. This is my good friend, Walt, uh, the one who was in the other piece whose sister thought I was yeah. him. Yeah. And this is a Summer Road song, and I did write a poem about it, but like I said, I, I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember it. And this is Los Trace. This was a, a oil painting um, that I did uh, for a show in Flagstaff for the Nor Museum of Northern Arizona. And I do have a little story I wrote about it, if you'd like to hear it. Yes, I'd love to. Okay. Los Trace is what we called them back in the day. They were a posse of three rodeo and cowboys from Española, New Mexico, who personified the story about the three cowboys in the cab of the truck. And just how can you tell which one is the real cowboy? These guys traveled everywhere together down the rodeo road, besting one another from Galisteo to Cimarron to Ruidoso. They really never got caught up in the pro rodeo circuit, though. Pretty much stayed small time, winning just enough cash to buy gas and a couple of burritos to make it to the next town. Their biggest break, if you could call it that, was a trip to Brush, Colorado, 4th of July, 1989, billed as the largest amateur rodeo in the country. One of them took all around that year on a borrowed horse. Another found the love of his life, and the third just kind of blended into the crowd. One hell of a trip. We never did figure out who the real cowboy was, though. Russell, show that one, the one of the full painting with the persons. There, that one. Now, yep. that that's a big painting. Yeah. 40, 44 by 80. How long did it take you to do that? I want to say three or four months. Yeah. Because the way I paint is pretty slow, and I have to let layers dry and then go back. Sure. And I'm working on other things at the same time. I don't just work on one piece at a time. How much would you sell that for? Uh, that piece, I think, was 35000 That 35000 Yes. Yes. Wow. This uh, was probably um, my breakout in the Western art world. Um, back in 1982, um, I had not ever been to a, a, a gay rodeo at the time. I did not even know they existed. And I found out that Phil Ragsdale had been running the Reno Gay Rodeo for, at that time, probably six or seven years. And in 82... I got with him and I produced this uh, watercolor as a poster for the Reno Gay Rodeo, 1982. You, you must yeah, have been very young at the time. <laughs> uh, I was 20-something, yeah. yeah. Okay, and the picture behind you, tell us about that. That is, um, oh, I'm going the wrong way. Um, that is Summit. It's uh, about... Um, an artist deep digging into the recesses of the flames of creativity to create artwork. It's called Summit, getting to the pinnacle of, of your capabilities. That's what And it's when about. did you paint that? 
oh, geez, that's probably, I want to say about um, six years ago, maybe. It's beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. All right, you have the show in Evanston. Uh, what's right. next on your agenda? Uh, I'm going to France in March for two weeks for a residency. I was accepted at uh, Chateau Orcavo. So I'm going to be there uh, drawing and painting in the countryside of Eastern France, in the close to the Swiss border. It should be interesting, huh? <laughs> Do they have cowboys uh, in France? Uh, probably not, but they'll have lots of landscapes. And I'm, I'm, my work is really leaning more toward landscape kind of things. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. Um, the uh, Reno Gay Rodeo poster is going to be available on T-shirts and mugs and bags through your uh, gift shop at Amber Lodge. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Paul. That is great. Again, well, thank you so much for talking to us. Your work is beautiful. And we want to thank Dwayne Scott Cerny for hooking us up for yes, this conversation. Yes, yes. So, so, kind so of thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Amber Live Interviews. Remember to subscribe to us so you don't miss a single minute of the fun. And remember, it is your support that keeps us going. You can make a donation through this podcast by using our Venmo at RJD Pro or by visiting us at AmberLive.tv and clicking on the Support Amber Live button. Thank you.